Welcome to Shop Talk, the official drama shop podcast where we discuss theater in process. We talk about productions, local, global, and digital after the last year or so now, and we get the chance to share experiences of theater artists in our communities. Today, drama shop artistic director Zach Flock is chatting with Erie theater veteran and favorite, if I do say so myself, Gretchen Kerr. Gretchen made her drama shop directorial debut with a public reading of an unproduced screenplay about the death of Walt Disney. She's played uh, Helen Bechtel in drama shop's production of Fun Home and Mother and Nevermore, and she's been seen in many productions at the Erie Playhouse and holds a BFA in theater and music from Otterbein University. She is currently administrator and communications coordinator at St. George Church, and she sings in the podcast, too, if that's not enough of a reason to listen. We'll see if Zach also accomplishes his goal of making Gretchen cry. This is Shop Talk. Shop Talk is sponsored by Gannon University's Schuster Theater. Fresh off their production of Evil Dead, the musical Gannon University's Schuster Theater will open Dog, Woman, Man by Sybil Berg on December 2nd through the 4th and 9th through the 11th. Uh, in Dog, Woman, Man, a dog narrates the odd behavior between a man and a woman who have bound themselves to one another even though neither can stand the other's company. At the very moment they meet, the dog runs up and stays with them because he, like them, has nothing to lose. And he, like them, is looking for protection. After a short period of devotion, human nature forces its way to the surface, love becomes possessiveness, closeness is replaced by mistrust and alienation. But a breakup is out of the question. The couple's energy-sapping everyday routine binds them together like a taut leash. This all seems very natural to the dog. We dogs and human beings are alike in many ways. We deal with catastrophes similarly. We accept them. Tickets and information for Dog, Woman, Man can be found at schustertheater.com. That's S-C-H-U-S-T-E-R-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.com. Thank you to the Schuster Theater for your sponsorship. And now here's Gretchen Kerr and Zach Flock. Gretchen Kerr today. Hi, Gretchen. Hi. Hello there. Welcome to Shop Talk. Thank you for having me. Your it, first time on Shop Talk. It's my first time on Shop Talk. It's my first time on a podcast. So, I mean, I am up for any new challenge. That's great. Well, we're just going to talk and, and see what happens. Okay. And if, if I, you know, touch on a subject that's just too personal, <laughs> you just let me know and we'll just jump on oh, to something Oh, I will. Else. I'll give you the eye. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you will. I don't doubt that. <laughs> Uh, so we are recording here in the green room yes. at Drama Shop. Um, we should mention you may hear some noise from the theater. It's not the ghost. It's Marshall Mack, hard at work, painting the floor. So <laughs> if you hear noise in the background, it's probably Marshall. Yes. Yeah. So Gretchen. Yes, sir. Let's talk. <laughs> I, my goal today yes. is to make you cry. Like, I want this to be like an Oprah level, <laughs> heartfelt, you know. Zach. Just pour it all out there. <laughs> it's not my forte, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. You know, I always try to please you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> likewise. Likewise. Yes. So, you know, we've worked together a few times Yes, now. sir. Um, but I think I've mentioned to you before, my first intro to Gretchen Kerr was through my wife. Yes. Who kept telling me, I think it was Les Mis, she was working with you at the Playhouse. And yes, she sir. kept saying, Gretchen Kerr. You've got to meet Gretchen Kerr. She's, we've got to get her a drama shop. We've got to get her doing stuff. Oh she just was in love with you. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. So I don't really, you know, I don't care. Right. I don't we, like anybody. Well, first of all, that's so funny. I can't even believe that she would say that. But second of all, we were stuck in a dressing room with like 25 people and a dog. Well, two dogs. Two dogs. Do you remember Do you remember hearing stories about no, that? No, there were dogs in Lemus? So Crystal Corator, oh, who yeah, was yeah, in yeah. the show the first yeah. round. 
So this is my introduction to the Playhouse. I had never done a show there. So I was just kind of like, where am I? What am I doing here? I don't know the lay of the land. I don't know any of these people. And I was super excited because I hadn't done a show for years and years and years. So it was like the first time back. And they're like, okay, girls, women, you're going to be on the second floor dressing room. Men's going to be, they're going to be on the third floor. Okay. Yeah. So I go up and it's like literally 25 women in a room that's the size of my bedroom. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, that's a big bedroom then. Cause that's a decent, I mean, it's not a huge room, but those, those dressing rooms are. Okay. I guess so. In my mind's eye, it's small. Maybe just because once you put, yeah. Well, you if you have a cast of like four people it's and the not, costumes down the middle, right, it, yeah, right. It was just like total mayhem. And then there was a kiddie pool in the corner with two small dogs in it. Oh I love <laughs> that it. smelled like urine. Oh wow! Yeah, so that was that was special. Wow! But your wife was a lot of comic relief in that particular situation. I I'm appreciated sure. her very much. Anyway, yeah. that was a little side. No, side. that's, that's yeah. great. And and she just spoke so highly of you yeah. and, and wanted you to get involved. And, you know, I, I, I mm-hmm. don't think we actually met until you auditioned for fun home. Have right. I don't know that we, I mean, maybe I think in past you'd probably, I think you'd been to a few shows. Right? I had, I had, I knew yeah. who you were and I had maybe met you, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know, but no, I did not know you. Well, you know, I would think that you would remember meeting me, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Right. Um, so you mentioned Sorry. that that Les Mis was kind of your first time doing theater in quite a while. Yes. When did you start doing theater? I started. I want the like embarrassing, you know, wow. third my grade first, pageant story. No, actually, well, my very first role was as Pocahontas in second grade. Okay. Um, I played Pocahontas in my classroom uh-huh. and I remember my line. Do you want to hear it? I would love to. Well, it was one of my lines, but it was the one I, it's the one I remember. Yeah. Please father, do not kill him. He is so brave. That was my line. Okay. Can I get that one more time? <laughs> it was, that was a little flat. I'd like just a little more. Please father, do not kill him. He is so brave. Wow. Yeah. That was Stunning. my first. Yeah. That was Stunning. my first. Well, I was trying to do it in my second grade voice. I, I could tell it came so, through. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, well, I mean, I didn't do a real show until uh, my junior year of high school, maybe. Um, we did Up the Down Staircase. Okay. Classic. I don't know it. Oh, my God. Seriously? I don't know it. <laughs> it's a classic. Like Perhaps middle... you could give me some lines from that one. I can't. But it, Up the Down Staircase is like a classic, you know, middle school, high school, sure. first sure. kind of straight play note, not a musical. Yeah. It's not a musical. So I did that kind of like, I think, well, no, let me step back. So I did, we were supposed to do a production of a Mikado Ooh. in my middle school. Wow. Yes. That's we ambitious. A, we had a very ambitious, I believe he, I didn't know it at the time, but I'm sure he was this young gay choir director mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he wanted to do a production of the Mikado in eighth grade. So I was cast in the Mikado and we like rehearsed and then it never happened. So I don't huh. really know what happened there. But anyway, that was my first like rehearsal process. Then I did Up the Down Staircase. Then we did my very first role uh, in a musical because I had sung all through my childhood and whatever people like my mother would make me sing for people and stuff like that. So um, was I was Ruth in Wonderful Town. Okay, you want to give me some of that? Well, this was my (laughs) this was my favorite. Well, there were two favorites, but I can't remember all the words to the first one. 
first one I'm thinking of, but my favorite, one of my favorites. So they have a show. It's so it's based on the play or the book, maybe, or the the straight play, My Sister Eileen. Okay. About two sisters from Ohio that moved to New York. And Ruth is like the <laughs> Ruth is like the classic, like kind of like frumpy, not as attractive older sister who kind of protects the young ingenue Eileen. Okay. And I don't even remember what happens in the play. Yeah. But anyway, I the the song that Eileen that Eileen and I sing, it's called Ohio. And it goes And like, you were from Ohio. And right? I was that's, actually that's from a Ohio. Crucial part of the story. It is. So it goes something a little like this. Yeah. <clears throat> why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why did I ever leave Ohio? Why did I wander to find what lies yonder when life was so lovely at home? Wandering while we wander, why did I fly, why did I roam? Oh, why, oh, why, oh, did we leave Ohio? Maybe we'd better go home. Oh, that's yeah. lovely, yes. Gretchen. So that was my first role as Ruth. I know the song. I didn't know that's what it was from. That is from that Wonderful Town. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I don't want to bore you with this long story. So I'll cut uh, it out. It's fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> so um, I got to a senior year in high school and I'm trying, I was in the show choir. You know, show choirs were really big back in the 80s. Yeah. So I graduated from high school in 1987. Okay. It's aging right. me a little bit. And um, <clears throat> so I got to my senior year and I was like, I don't, I wasn't a great student. I had done some theater. I was involved in all the music stuff at school. Mm -hmm. And I took all the advanced art classes. So I was a total just like art person. I get it. And um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought about being an art major in college. I knew I had to go to college. I thought about being a photography. I was really into photography. Oh, okay. uh, I thought about being an art history major. And then I was like, you know what? Why don't I just do theater? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so very last minute. I auditioned to, well, let me back up. So I decided to be an exchange student in okay. Amsterdam really? for the summer between my senior year of high school into my um, first year of college. Okay. So I went away to Amsterdam for three months. Well, I feel like this is a whole other podcast episode. It is. Oh, my goodness, it is. I was supposed to go and spend half of the summer taking art classes in Amsterdam okay, and traveling around and like painting Holland and the second half tulips and whatnot. Exactly. Windmills. Windmills. Uh -huh. Clogs. <laughs> um, and, um, dikes. And, um, the second half was supposed to be with a family, like an exchange thing with a family. Well, I got to Amsterdam and there was no program. There was like, it didn't exist. <laughs> so basically what I did was I lived with a family and I traveled around by myself at the age of 17. Did the family know you were coming? No. They didn't know till like the day before I got there. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't understand. So I'm okay. 17 years old. This is like, I feel like this is turning into a true crime podcast. <laughs> it could have been. What the hell? It could have been. I was okay. 17. I show up. We have this like little orientation when we get there with other exchange students that had come from the United States. And they're like, um, well, we have something to tell you. Like there's no program. So you're just, we've hooked you up with these families and they're arriving tomorrow. Okay. So I, I, they shipped me off to Rotterdam. I lived in a little town called Elfen on the Rhine outside of Rotterdam. I'm this not kidding. Is, you're making this I up. I am not making this up. 
I'm not making it up. Okay, all right. Leo, Leo and Annika Volk were their names. Uh-huh. And the name of the town again was? Alfenandrein. Okay, all right. Yes, and uh, they were professionals. You know, he, they had jobs. Yeah. Like, they didn't have any children. They were older. They, they were, you know, they were never home. So I, they take me back to their house. I sleep for like three days. And then I'm like, I got to do something with my summer. So I just, I, I literally took the train every day somewhere. And I just traveled around Holland for three months by That's myself. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when I got back from that experience, which like kind of blew my mind. I'm sure it did. Yeah. yeah. Like here's Europe. Just, you know, go yeah. to. Hanging out in Amsterdam by myself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a whole other episode because I have like amazing stories. I'm sure you do. So anyway, I get back to the States and I, um, I had got, I had gotten into Otterbein College Mm -hmm. where I decided to go. Um, I only got into three colleges, Ohio University, Kent State University and Otterbein. Okay. And again, I'll go back to the fact that I was a very bad, I wouldn't say bad, but I was a very poor student. Your attention was elsewhere. Right. Did not make great grades. Yeah. And I was a terrible test taker. Sure. So um, so I decided to go to Otterbein and I hadn't auditioned yet for the BFA program. Okay. So when I got back, I believe it's when I got back from Holland, I had to go to Otterbein and audition, which is <laughs> a really funny story. Um, I was not prepared very well. I mean, I well, didn't. I mean, you had just spent three months in Amsterdam. So right. And I one had, could imagine your, again, your attention was elsewhere. <laughs> it was elsewhere. Yeah. And I, um, I had taken voice lessons like when I was like 13 or something like that. But I, you know, I didn't have like what I see today, like these young kids in high school, they have like, they have their own accompanist, you know, that they've been working with right. and voice lessons. Right. Like I didn't have any of that, you know? So I, I didn't really know how to prepare for this audition. Yeah. So I go and it wasn't part of like, they didn't have like audition days back then, you know, like they do now. Right. You know, you couldn't send anything over like on video right. or, you know, video is like dating me even. Yeah. Um. So I show up at Otterbein and I have to go to the, like the music director's office. And so it's me, my mom's sitting outside of the office and it's me and like, three faculty members in this little office. And they're like, what did you prepare for us today? And I was like, I prepared a song to sing. So I sang. Um, oh, me, oh, oh, my, oh. No, I did not sing that. <laughs> I sang um, Far From the Home I Love. Okay. All right. From Fiddler. Fiddler, yeah. Yeah. I must have had that in my repertoire. I don't remember yeah. how I happened upon that song. But anyway, because this is like 35 years ago, whatever. 30 years ago. Anyway, um, so at the end of the song, it comes to um, here with, with my, my love. love I won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I totally, like, at the end, I was like, I'm home. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's totally, in there somewhere. Yeah, I totally blew the audition. Just like. Well, it's a, you, you missed the last notes, right? I mean, well, in my mind, it you, was done. That was it. That was, it. that was it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll still go to Otterbein. I just won't be a theater major. They're not going to accept me. Yeah. So lo and behold, I was accepted. I mean, it sounds like up until those last two notes, which are the tricky notes of the song. <laughs> You're so kind. I'm sure it was fine. You're so kind. That's why I love That's, you. Yes, I get that a lot. So kind. You're so kind. 
Um, so anyway, yeah, I got into Otterbein. I was a BFA theater person. So back then they didn't have musical theater degrees. I was a theater major with a music minor sure. is how they did it. Right. And uh, learned a whole lot. Learned a whole lot I didn't like about theater, I have to admit. Um, you know, there was there were ups and downs. Let me just say that. Sure. But I did learn a lot. I studied classical. I did a lot more in the music department, actually, than I did in the theater department. We learned method acting, Stanislavski, the whole mm-hmm. deal. Uh, so I learned the craft. Moved to Chicago after college uh, with my roommate. This was before, obviously, before I was married. I mm-hmm. met my husband in college, but we, you know, he went to graduate school in New Jersey and I went to Chicago for a year. Auditioned for a few things, didn't get into any productions, but got some good feedback. And my roommate at the time, um, she was like doing these little productions like in the basements of places. Yeah. <laughs> And I went to go see her in a production that was like in this nasty basement theater. I don't even know where it was. It was in Chicago. I'm sitting in the audience and I probably had had a couple drinks before the show. And so it takes place in this like insane. I don't even remember the show. And it's like in this insane asylum. And like she comes out with like all these people and they're all like in diapers. And like I'm thinking to myself there. I'm not doing this. Yeah, I am not. Not, not I, I do not love I do not love theater enough to be in a diaper yeah. in front of people in a skanky basement somewhere. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. So I didn't do it. I didn't do theater again, really, until I miss. Yeah. So I was, you know, 22, 23. And I, I had been singing throughout that time, a lot of church singing and that kind sure. of thing. And for people's weddings and um, some professional choir type of situations, yeah. but, um, I didn't do any theater until I moved to Erie in 2007 and they, you know, they announced that the playhouse was doing Les Mis and I was like, by golly, I'm going to try that. Yeah. And so I did. And I, that's, I really, it really kind of, um, reignited my love for theater again. I love that. I, I have a lot of respect for people who, can do the whole starving artist thing who will, who will take any role and, you know, yeah. do what they have to do to, to get a foot in the door and to, to work professionally. But I always knew that was not in my DNA no. and it was just not what I wanted to do. Yeah. So for me, community theater has been as rewarding probably as, mm-hmm. as a professional career. And it would have been. I think so too. And there were, there were people in the program at Otterbein that I knew who, were totally dedicated to that. That yeah. was what they were going to do. And every morning that's they woke up and that's what they thought about. And I just was like, I don't want to spend my life getting up every morning and thinking about how great I need to be. Yeah. Like, I just, I can't do that. You know, so I just decided it wasn't for me. So Chicago is known for its improv scene too. Was that ever anything that you attempted to, to wade into or considered? You know what? That's a really good question. Because I think you're, you're a very funny person, but yeah. I don't know that I've really gotten to see you do much comedy. On I know. And I really, I know you, if I've been saying it a lot more in the last couple of years, I'm like, I'd love to do a comedy, you know, cause that's not something that I normally have done and, right. and I gravitate toward, but it's funny because some of my really good friends in college did improv and they did improv in Columbus, you know, around the city of Columbus. Yeah. And you know, we were, we've, we, we slayed it at parties. I mean, I was like hilarious, but I never got, I never got into it. Yeah. And I had thought about going and auditioning, uh, like second city, they would right, have classes right. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And I had thought about that, but I just was, I never felt confident enough to do it at that level. Yeah. 
I just well, and there is so much more to improv than being funny. I mean, really, oh, yeah. if, if your goal is to be funny, you're probably going to fail at improv. You totally. Know, there's so much more to it. Than yeah. That. And we did it in classes and stuff yeah, in college yeah. and I really enjoyed it. And I, we did it as exercises off, off stage, you know, in rehearsal process, right, right. you know, our director would say like, go off and do some improv, like you character know? development. Stuff exactly. Or, yeah, and I yeah. really did enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed, we used to in, in Paula Barrett's improv class at Gannon, we used to do, we, we did like slowly started off with short improv. And by the end of the semester, we're doing these long form, the entire class, no audience, you know, 40 minute long kind of just tell a story. And the only person watching is Paula as the instructor. And yeah, I mean, any attempt to be funny kind of goes out the window. You're just committed. It's basically like playing make-believe for for 40 minutes. 100%. And And there's something really gratifying about that. Yeah. And it really teaches you the craft of... In, in the craft of acting teaches you how to listen. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause if you're not listening, you're, you're going to be terrible at improv. Yeah. yeah. And if you're always trying to think of the next thing that you're going to say, you're, you, that's not the way it works. Right. I think it's useful. Like you said, in, as a sort of tool in rehearsal, mm-hmm. I think that's something that I would love to spend more time doing as a director, yeah. which especially, you know, the, the past year or so in this kind of COVID era that we're producing mm-hmm. in, you know, you've, we've sort of had to strip rehearsals down to like bare bones. Like what's the minimum amount of yeah. time that you have to be together mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, which is so counter to right. collaboration. Totally. But, but I would love to be able to dive more into improv as a director, as a writer. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about not for self-aggrandizing yeah. purposes. No, but, yeah. But working on a new piece together. Yeah. You know, having opportunity to do some improv might have been a really useful exercise totally might still be as I continue to develop that yeah yeah I would just say too on that improv thing it's kind of funny I think I think people over the years at least in in my experience here in Erie is I do a lot of like secret improv by my you know like so like (laughs) think about when we did Sunday in the Park with George at the yeah at the playhouse I definitely not a lot of room for improv not a lot of room for improv in that show but I like I definitely, now some might call it method or, you know, some might call it, yeah, some might call it just like method acting. But like in my mind, I was, when I was interacting with certain people, I was improving with them. Like in? in like in normal conversation. Okay. Does that sound crazy? A little bit. <laughs> Sounds a little crazy. <laughs> a little but bit. Like I, but I like, so for a few, for, for, a few, I would say a couple months after that show, when I would see Dominic Del Greco, because he played, you know, George yeah. and my my son in the show, yeah. I felt a little weird around him because I wasn't in my mind. This sounds really insane. I love it though. But Keep I was going. like, but like <laughs> during the rehearsal process and even like during the run of the show, I would get in character in the dressing room. Yeah. And when I would interact with him backstage, I would be improving with I him. I see. I like, got it. And during the rehearsal process. But he didn't know that I was. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think I do, yeah. So I'm not one backstage. Let me just say this. I'm not one backstage that can fool around. Oh, I, you and I, I think, are 100% on the same page here. Can't do it. Here. I think you know this to be true about me, yes. too. Yes. I like, mean, I do not listen to music. Right. I do not, like, talk about what I did that day. Right. 
I don't. I will maybe listen to music like on my way to the theater mm-hmm. or, you know, in the as soon as I get to the theater, I might have some some headphones on and listening yeah. to stuff to kind of get me in the right sort of state of mind. But then once I start getting ready, I have to focus squarely on out. the show. And and I'm I think I'm a little method. I don't know that I'm necessarily in character 100% in improving with people but yeah. that idea of you know with nevermore once i was yeah. back here and and doing the hair and makeup and everything yeah. it was like all right we're we're into this character now yeah. and i can't easily jump out of it and back in yeah in fact i can't i don't understand how people like i know i haven't had that experience here and it, this is not a, a dig but at, like at the playhouse people would be like on their phone yeah. And they'd be like texting, blah, blah, blah. And then they'd run out and do their scene. And then they'd come back. Like, there is yeah. no way in hell I could do that. I could do that if it was, you know, smaller role. Oh, like a chorus. A chorus thing, yeah. like in between numbers. Yeah. Or, um, you know, a couple of lines here and there. But if it was something where I really felt like I need to pour every ounce of myself into this, yeah. then I've got to keep that level of focus backstage or else it's just not going yeah. to happen. Yeah. Part of that is nerves for me, too. I'm curious. Sure. Do, you, do you get... Nervous? Do you have oh my anxiety? God. Yes. Because yes. there, there are some performers Crippling. who are just so like slick about it that they can just drop in and be, you know. Crippling. Yeah. Yeah. I um I I spend a lot of sleepless nights. I stew over it. I I feel sick to my stomach. How do you overcome that? I don't. <laughs> So you just like vomit on stage, basically. No, I mean, no. I mean, at some point you have to rely on your instinct takes over. Yeah. Um, You know me, I'm not, I'm very, I'm almost kind of neurotic. Well, I am. I'm neurotic about memorization. Yeah. I have talked myself out of the fact that I can memorize well. And you absolutely can. But I can't. You're right. You've talked yourself out of it. I totally talked myself out of it. So it it freaks me out every time. And Nevermore was excruciating for me because I didn't even have a reference point for that yeah. show there, you know, cause I, I didn't know it. I'd never heard the music before. And, and, and when you drop a lyric, that's, that's kind of unforgiving, you know, you can fumble right. your way through dialogue, but when it's set to music, when it's set to music and yeah. there's a timing yeah. and th- there's a small cast and a small theater and yeah. it's very intimate. I was very, it's much more obvious when you do mess up. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think I think you're very much you are a perfectionist. I don't I say am. that as a bad thing. I, I am. think that's, that's Well, it can't be a bad thing. It can it can be a bad thing when you yeah. get inside your own head, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I was secretly improving with you in that show too. I don't know if you know that, but I was. <laughs> On stage? All the time. I mean, when you say improving though, you weren't like changing lines or things like that. You just mean like no. trying new tactics, new deliveries of lines, that kind of thing. Well, even backstage, you know, I mean like in my relationships with people. (laughs) Oh, that's some manipulative stuff right there. No, I don't, I don't think I was aware of that. Yeah. Like, give me an example. Well, I think just in general, I think I became very maternal with you in that show. Oh, I just assumed that's, (laughs) that's just your personality. No, I didn't have that feeling with you in Fun Home. Oh, that's true. That's true. I didn't have that. That was not part of my process. Yeah. You know, so I think that, I mean, we can That's, really, we can really go deep here, but I mean, I think that in Nevermore, I, you know, if people, if your listeners aren't familiar with the show, yeah. like, you know, the relationship with 
Edgar and his mother was not great, but I felt like I had to find some kind of connection. And that's interesting to me because I, I probably didn't respond to, I don't think I changed the way I acted with you, but I also think that that is appropriate for the character, you know, because my, and I, I think I said this in rehearsal, like uh, he had a very, bizarre relationship with his mother she passed when he was young the whole show for those who don't know it 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 sort of takes place in like the final moments of Poe's life right like I Mm -hmm. kind of viewed it all as sort of a fever dream of of, these are this is what's going through his head as he's about to pass away right um which then kind of frees you up to like the whole thing is just fantasy yeah and there there I think there are things that are kind of baked into the show I think that that suggest that I mean, the guy was sort of, in a lot of ways, like hypersexual. Like, hundred percent. So, so there, there were moments where I don't think I viewed your character. I don't think my character viewed your character in a normal, healthy, maternal way. No. But it makes sense that you would. I had to find some reason to show up. Yeah. Yeah. In your fantasy. Right. And it couldn't, for me, it could not be all sexual. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what and I mean? And I don't think, I don't think. I don't think it was for him either. Yeah. Right. That he needed someone to just tell him what to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I think that that character in that, I mean, that show, I, again, the jury's still out if I even like that show. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. But when I think about it, especially the relationship, well, with all the women that he has in that show, but yeah. especially with his mother, it's both real and it's fantasy and it's what he wished he had had. Yep. You know, it's all of the things all in one. And as an actor, that's that's difficult to grasp onto. What am I doing here? Yeah. You but know? see, I also think there's so that's so much fun as an actor. Yeah. To not be bound by a, a prescription. Mm-hmm. Right. That there is that flexibility in a show like that yeah. to figure out what is what are the dynamics between our characters, not just throughout the whole show, because they change. And and when I'm seeing you, are we having this conversation for real? Am I remembering an actual conversation? Mm-hmm. Is this wish fulfillment? Is this right. something that I wish had happened? Right. You know, so for me, I, that's why it was one of the few times where I'm like, I, I want to get off the bench and actually be in this one. I'd like yeah. to audition for this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it definitely, so. yeah, it was definitely a, a, a good challenge. Yeah. And then the, the, the end scene, I think is just the final kind of like re reuniting of mother and son. Yeah. Kind of it's an interesting show. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fun to, it's fun to unpack that. And yeah. And take a deep, deep dive. And yes. if you didn't see the show, then that conversation probably Too bad. nothing to you. Exactly. So sorry for your luck. Interestingly, that was our final show before COVID hit and before mm-hmm. we shut down in-person theater for a while. Yeah. yeah, literally March 1st was our last performance yeah, of that. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so, you know, over the past year and a half, we've kind of been doing some different things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You've had some different opportunities yeah. in the in the last year and a half. Yes. What has that experience been like for you? I mean, um, you did some writing. You did some... Did. some you did... Directing in blue did, ball monologues. As I well, did. Right? Yeah. I did. Wow. Okay. Let me just like ponder that just for a second. So, um, first, I think, you know, really kudos to Drama Shop and Creative Team and people who were kind of behind the scenes that, you know, they, what I like, you, you pivoted. There was a pivot, yeah. yes, <laughs> which I was. think that um, was totally admirable. You know, you could have just like shut down for a few months and like came back, but you didn't. So you were able to engage 
at least the artistic community that's connected here right in um in something through well, that time and, and let me just say I, I mean i appreciate the the compliment yeah i'm bad at taking compliments but i think <laughs> it was less about us figuring out how i'll just be blunt how for the sake of our audience can we pivot and more we are artists we can't stop yeah right. <laughs> so how can we find ways to safely keep doing the thing we love to do. I think that was as much a motivator as making sure there was still a product for our audience. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, totally, I yeah. totally agree with that. I, I have to say, like, I didn't feel like this overwhelming urge to perform. Right. But I definitely felt like it helped me process. Right. What was happening. Got to do something. Got to do something yeah. besides, you know, like trying to figure out how to be in quarantine and yeah. all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I did dip my toes a little bit in the writing process and, um, you know, that is something on my list that I really would like to pursue. Yeah. To me, um, it's like anything else. I just need to commit to it and commit to it every day. Right. I have a lot of ideas, but it scares me. Writing scares me. Yeah. I'm not a writer by trade. Well, I kind of am, but not in that way. I'm not a creative writer. So. Um, one of the things that I think that you said to me in that process, because so for those of you who don't know, we, we wrote our own monologues. Oh, well, some people wrote monologues and then people auditioned to do the monologues. Right. Some people did their own monologues. Some people didn't. And Zach was there to kind of work with us through that process. Zach and, and Jess yep. also, yep. um, you know, read them and kind of helped us kind of edit them down or whatever. But one thing that you said to me that I've stuck with and I really um, uh, want to pursue is that my writing is more like prose yes, than yeah. it is like dialogue yeah. necessarily. Um, kind of like Tennessee Williams. I, like. I was, that's so funny. I yeah. literally was going to say there's sort of a Tennessee Williams quality to it, sort of like a, an ethereal kind of quality. Yeah. And I really want to go with that yeah. because I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. But anyway, it was a great experience. Um, there were some challenges with casting that, I learned a lot about as a director. Yeah. Um, you know, um, working with people I didn't know, work, you know, working with uh, material that I didn't know, having ideas, but not really, they, they didn't come to full t fruition for me. Sure. Some of that was COVID because of COVID. The like, I, of, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that was, anyway, that was, a, that was a great experience. And then all the singing stuff that we did from our bedrooms and our yeah. living rooms. Weird, know. right? <laughs> totally weird like almost like feels a little invasive but you're like I, i'm recording this myself i'm putting this out yeah. there but it's very weird to be like sharing my living room or i whatever. know well like, i was doing it up in my bedroom uh, i think for a couple of the things we yeah, did yeah. and i was like wait i have to i have to make he can, they can see my unmade bed is it weird that my bed is in the yeah background? right yeah, like totally. i don't know that's a little like boundary issue yeah. <laughs> um so yeah i mean i i really appreciated being engaged uh, for sure um you know, I think, you know, stepping back from drama shop for a second, looking at everything that was happening, you know, in a national global level about like everyone starting to do stuff like that. It got a little old. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> got a little cheesy. Yeah. Got a little old. Yeah. But I think, you know, um, on a local level, I think we did a great job. Well, and I think that that. Jess and I were just talking about this yesterday. I think it was about one of the things that we hoped with drama shop was, OK, first we had to pivot. Right. And it was more like 
necessity. How do we make this work? Mm -hmm. But then we basically said, okay, how do we make this better? You know, how do we get a little better at it each time? Yeah. Up through, you know, natural shocks with uh, Nora Schillinger doing a a one woman show with three cameras live, um, which then we carried over into Confluence. Um, Mm -hmm. My original show that we, I was so honored and excited to do Mm -hmm. um, in September and you were a part of that cast. So I, I, I want to talk to you about yes. that. Working on a new piece, um, you know, with a director, with a writer, with the, the other cast members. Um, plus, you had been a part of an earlier reading of Confluence yeah. that we did via Zoom just kind of for, for, for me you. to hear it. For you. Yeah. Right. What was that experience for you? Oh, my gosh. I wish I could. I wish that could be my experience. You know what I mean? Like, I wish that was that was more my reg, my regular experience yeah. where it truly is. It's not just, you know, getting the rights to a play and then having, you know, getting a director, doing a read through, doing the show. Great. I mean, I love I love the process. You yeah. know, I do. Yeah. But that took it to me. That took it to a whole new level yeah. because um, I'd never obviously I've never worked with someone who wrote something and been a part of it and been able to process with them, show it to them as an actor and then also give feedback as an actor saying like, this isn't working. Right. And then the writer being open to, Oh, okay. I didn't, you know, let's change that. Let's take that out. Um, I think we hit the tip of the iceberg with that. show. Oh, absolutely. And there's plenty more work to do. uh, For sure. I don't, I don't know about plenty, but I mean, I definitely, it, there's something there for I mean I'm going to embarrass you but there there definitely I told you this after afterwards yeah. there's definitely a show there for sure thank you I I feel yeah. that I mean I, I yeah I I think writers never probably never reach a point where they're like this is done oh, this is sure. perfect you know yeah. but I do feel like you know the the work that you all put into it was it was such a rewarding experience for me um, and you know we did make changes I think it was up until. We did. Final dress. I think I was coming to you guys with some new pages. Yeah. And it was less about like, oh, I, Gretchen, don't like this line. And, no. you know, more like, would this work for the character or not? And then, you know, taking the feedback from the group and saying, okay, let me take a, another look at this section of the play mm-hmm. and trim these lines yeah. or combine these. And you one know. example was there were, you know, Zach, for my character, I played the mother and, um, Zach had me saying hun a lot, like yeah. calling people hun. And I'm like, Zach, I really don't think she would say that. Yeah. And you yeah, like, and it's one yeah. of those things that as a writer, you maybe don't don't clock until you hear it out loud. Yeah. And and once I heard it and once you pointed it out, I'm like, oh yeah, that's just a you know, when you're writing and you don't you don't have a sense of how many times over the course of two hours is she gonna say hun? But then when you start hearing it, you're like, oh yeah, that's Yeah, that I don't sounds... think she'd say that yeah, here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and then one of the other interesting things that I got out of the experience was, you know, with working with Sean Clerkin, who was directing it, and with with the four cast members, was finding those moments where <laughs> it's gonna sound like I'm like deflecting the blame, but is it that the dialogue isn't working? Or is it that the blocking is not quite right? And how do I bake that into the script for future versions? Like, I think you know exactly the scene I'm talking about where you and Joe, played by Nora Schillinger again, Mm -hmm. um, where you're having a conversation that is, you're sort of reconciling, sort of coming to an understanding, 
but there's been a distance between the two of you the whole show. It comes mm-hmm. pretty late in the show. Yeah. And it was feeling a little too schmaltzy, a little too yeah, like, like, kind of come sit by neatly me. wrapped up. Yeah. So then we made an adjustment to the blocking and, and said, okay, Gretchen, don't go sit next to her yet. Keep that physical distance. And it totally changed the dynamics of the 100%. scene. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I just got a little chill because it's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me as like a process person, um, coming at a production from that viewpoint, from the writer, director, actor, collaboration view, um, uh, it it made you realize the writing on the page is absolutely important, but the things that are unspoken are sometimes way, way more important. Right. And the blocking means something. Blocking, right. that blocking isn't just about like, okay, I think I feel like you should go over there. Because you've been over here for a while. Because you've been over here a while. It just looks better over there. Like blocking, like the way we move means something. Right. Right. I mean, (laughs) especially when we're dealing with a play that's that's pretty much realism, right? Yeah. Why would you get up and go to the kitchen in real life if if it's not because your coffee is you you need to refill your coffee? Yeah, or you're uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable. I need I don't want to be right. Yeah, we exactly. need to get away from you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to me, that as I mean, it's just a great uh, reminder of every element right. of the theater counts. Yeah, the, the lighting, everything. And as a writer, that helped reinforce for me the idea of when to include a stage direction and when not. You know, and in mm-hmm. that scene, I think we found I need some sort of indicator in the stage direction to make it clear that there needs to be physical distance between the two of them. Otherwise, that dialogue alone is going to feel schmaltzy. It has to have that tension. Mm-hmm. And if the if it's if it's all in the subtext, how do I spell that out so that it's clear to the people performing it? And well, until a- I saw it on its feet, I didn't I didn't know. Well, that's that an interesting question that. because as an actor, I love stage notes, obviously. Yeah, I do too. I do but too. There, there are, are others that we work with here <laughs> who do not, Sean Clerken. And there are writers that don't. Yeah. There are writers, there are shows that have no stage direction whatsoever. Yeah. So as an artist, as a director, as a, you know, a designer, as a, as a, an, um, an actor, like, how how can you authentically and maybe that's the point i mean how can you authentically perform a piece the way that the writer intended without having an understanding of what what they want especially when you're talking subtext right yeah. because if the character is saying the opposite of what they actually feel yeah like you, say you didn't you have you can't just trust that everybody's going to know that right you know say you didn't have like stage direction in your play yeah. like we could have done it we could have done it as a sitcom right right you know what i mean absolutely. like you could have interpreted any way you wanted yeah some of the jokes <laughs> would have been in really poor taste but you're absolutely right and like right. mike would have like you know come through the door like i'm home yeah, you know exactly and at times i think we veered into the we did, <laughs> territory yeah. but yeah. no yeah no i totally agree and yeah. it's it's a uh, you know picking and choosing And I think when you look at a lot of older scripts too, stage directions, especially to spell out subtext, I think is a fairly newer convention, you know, whereas I think in a lot of older plays, like if you look at a a Tennessee Williams or yeah, yeah, something like that, 
they tend to be more mechanical yes. and, and sometimes they are not the author's words. They're things that were put in by publishers, by stage managers, whoever. Who did the first production. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was something that as a writer, I had to figure out where are my stage directions going to make sense. And then, you know, there were some that you guys made fun of. I'll just be blunt about it. Yeah. There was one like, I think at the end of the scene where I kind of spelled out like what's going through Joe's head in that particular moment. Yes. And it, and, as soon as someone made fun of it, I was like, not out of an ego place, but it's not necessary. Yeah. And I, I hear that now. Yeah. And just having people, you know, say to me, you don't need to tell me that because I just played the scene. Yeah. I and don't also, need that. does it really matter if. Well, that's the director coming out in you. Right. Right. You know, it's kind and of it's hard. And it's the actor coming out in you And the too. actor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really fine line there, you know, for sure. And when I went back, this was an exercise because I didn't enjoy it necessarily watching myself, but I did watch it. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, found even more, Yeah. you know, found even more things that like, we should go back and look at that. Yeah. You know, not just a writing thing necessarily, but like a delivery or like a blocking. Um, and I just want to say really quick, like when you all decided you and Sean, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming decided to, do the reading with a full set costumes and holding our scripts. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. You didn't like that. Idea. I was I not that. into that idea. Yeah. I was like, I think it's going to be distracting. I think, um, you know, how could we possibly make this scene real yeah. with scripts in our hands? You know, especially the size of the scripts that we had. Yeah. I was like, this is going to suck. Right, right. <laughs> so, and that was my inner dialogue. Right, because they're in a like three ring binder. It's not like a little yeah. acting edition. Yeah, so we're walking around like trying to drink our cup of coffee with yeah. like three ring binders yeah, yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. But it worked. You know, I, I was like, I was like crazy. Like literally, I, you know, we heard it from some um, audience members, but like I really forgot that yeah. we were holding scripts when I was watching it. Right. I was going to say two two things that come to mind on that topic. Having done staged readings here for the past 10 years, I do feel like more often than not, people just forget about the script. They forget that it's there yeah. in watching it as an audience member. The other thing is I will say there was part of me that was secretly hoping you guys would magically memorize the whole show and then we wouldn't need the script oh hell no but i I, that very quickly went out the window when i realized i mean first of all we had very few rehearsals i was gonna say we had like two weeks i think we had six weeks or (laughs) six total rehearsals maybe seven and when we agreed and i think we agreed i don't think this was just me kind of forcing this on you guys that we would be open to rewrites so literally you were getting new pages we were like at the last minute yeah and also the fact that Nora stepped in at the last minute. That's right. That's right. Elena Manchester yeah. was working on the production. Um, Elena is pregnant. And <laughs> she she didn't share this with the company at the time. Yeah. But but she felt because of, you know, pregnancy and everything, yeah. she she didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, given the COVID situation. Sure. Um, but her contributions, I thought, were, were equally. Yeah. And then there was that really cool experience. I mean, it would have been great had Elena been able to do it. But at the same time, how cool was it to suddenly plug Nora in and you have a different take on the character? Totally different. So then you still you kind of see what is there in the text at the core of this character that's going to be true, whether it's Elena, whether it's Nora, whether it's somebody you know, 20 years from now. Yeah. And what do they bring to it on their own? Yes, I love it. Especially because when I was writing, I mean, I was writing with Elena in mind. Yeah. You know, right, so right. to then have someone else play it, I think was a really 
interesting and, and exciting thing. Yeah. You know, as much as I was bummed that Elena had to step out, it was very cool to see Nora step in mm-hmm. and be like, all right, here's my version of Joe. And this is, you know, there are things that, like I said, are are true to the character, are universal. Yeah. And things that were very different. Yeah. Yeah, I would be totally in for more of those kind of experiences for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. That's probably enough time talking about my show. I think. Well, let me think about that. Hmm. <laughs> are you going to are you going to do it as a show? I guess is my question. Here. That's Who knows? a great question. Um as a producer, I'm like, well, we already did that one. You know what I mean? So in terms of offering our audience variety, there's part of me that's like, eh, I don't really want to. It didn't hit the wide audience. It didn't. Though. It was only live streamed um, or on demand. But yeah, I mean, it would be it would be cool to share it with an audience in person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's be, also it would also be cool. I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but I think it would be cool to do it somewhere else. Where no one knows you. I would kind of, yeah, I would kind of like to hand it off too and see. Yeah. I mean, I had written a show back in uh, like 2009 um, for Gannon. I did an an update of The Wizard of Oz called The Oz Project. Uh And I was pretty insistent when I wrote that, that I didn't want to be involved. I wanted to write the script, hand it off. And as a first time writer, I I regret that in hindsight because I feel like it could have been much stronger had I had I worked a little bit with Mm -hmm. the director, with the cast, not that they did anything wrong with it, but just that there were things that didn't come across the way I envisioned you could have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I didn't know how to, to bake certain things into the text. Um, so there is part of me that would, that would like, you know, that's why I took the opposite approach with this one where, you know, Sean directed it, but I was very much involved in that process. Um, tried to be, you know, inobtrusive and and try to collaborate but well it was funny is uh, all i think all of the actors referred to you sometimes as the director you know what i mean yeah. not not in any slam against sean at right, all but right. it, like we're so used to you directing and then it was your show we were like did that sound okay that yeah actor? right you would re- right yeah. when you're wanting clarification or yeah, something it, yeah. it's it's very weird when the when the author is sitting there and you can just ask them is that what you meant yeah or, exactly yeah. um but yeah so there is part of me that would like to see okay if i hand this off to another company um you know i would love to see maybe one of the theaters where i grew up it's it's set in that area i would kind of like to see you know what they might do with it um and i i should say one other thing i'd like to just throw out there about it and then let's talk about other stuff okay but you know i i think i told you one of my concerns was that people tend to think that when someone's writing especially when they're maybe not a professional writer that what they're writing is autobiographical. Yeah. And that was one of my hesitations or concerns was that people might, you know, read into it or, or try to figure out, Oh, well, is this part Zach's life? And is that, you know, is this yeah. person, this family member and whatever to right down to like, I literally told my mom, I was like, I don't think you should watch this because I know you and it's not about you, but I think that you might Make think it. that, that, <laughs> Gretchen's playing you and she's not. I mean, you've, I don't think you've ever met my mother. I haven't. And yeah. there were very few conversations about, you know, our own families and that kind of thing. Cause I really did want these to be original characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we write what we know. So I'm sure there are elements that, you know, of characters' personalities or whatever that maybe started off closer to people that I know. But I think in the course of writing and especially in the course of workshopping it with the cast, these became new characters. These, yeah. these really became 
fictional <laughs> but fully realized mm-hmm. characters in the hands of actors. So that for me was was a really rewarding experience. Totally, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah, and especially when <clears throat> there were times where someone would give a line delivery or would have an insight about the character, and I'd be like, "Yes, that I absolutely agree with that." And it's either not what was in my head initially. Or it's an insight, or, or it's maybe something that I felt about the character, but I didn't directly articulate. Mm-hmm. So when those things would kind of bubble to the surface, it was like, all right, this is this is a really cool process. It totally. So thank yeah. you for being a part of it. Oh my it gosh, really, yeah. I really, I really loved it. Yeah. I really loved it. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about Helen. <laughs> Helen Bechtel from fun home because i know that that was a character she's been on my mind well i saw you changed your your facebook picture back to helen so i was like are you okay (laughs) (laughs) but i know i do want to talk because i know and and again you know we talked about how your your method approach to acting which is intense right it's it's you you forge a bond with that character with that situation and i know fun home was one that helen was well i want to hear it from you what was what was helen like so I, I wasn't necessarily prepared to talk about Helen, but I guess I will. It's re- it's deep. Yeah. You know, and I I even sound like I sound dramatic when I start talking about it, you know, and I, I'll, 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 I'll accept the fact that I'm a dramatic person. It's okay. But, um, well, let me, let me yeah. interject while you're, yes, I don't think it's that you're a dramatic person. I think that you, like many good actors, your emotions are like right or easily accessible to you, right? Yeah. Like they're like right under the surface. Yeah. And so yeah. with that character, you were, you I were was. feeling it. I was yeah. more than any I've ever done before. Yeah. Um, you know, I poured over Alison Bechtel's texts before, you know, before and during that show. Yeah. So, um, especially the one about her mother. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and I guess I guess my I approach it kind of what we were just talking about with your own show yeah. is that there were elements of Helen that I definitely connected to. Her story is not my story. Sure, you know I don't I don't have that experience sure. that she had. Um, but have I lived a life where I've lived? I was raised in a home where there was trauma and tension. Yeah, sure, I have. So. Certainly, um, I was able to tap into that with her and not only tap into it, but forge a bond with her. I mean, I was even <laughs> I was even like looking up pictures of her gravesite. Wow. I mean, I you know, I started a Pinterest page about Helen Bechtel, like wow. my own personal. one. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like I was in I was intense. Like I I was like looking up, you know, um, the kind of decor that he was singing about. I was like, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. You know, what is that about? You know, cause I didn't know, you know, the, the kind of chairs that I sang about. I can't remember the name of the chairs, but, um, so I was just, and I was looking at pictures of the home and like all of that. Um, can so, I, can I yeah, ask a, yeah. can I ask a question about that? Yeah. And I don't mean this to sound nearly as condescending as yeah. it's going to. Why? <laughs> like in, in what way does that help you? With your performance. Well, it helped me because we didn't, um, in, in the original production didn't either, but we weren't working on a set. Yeah. You know, that had all of those elements. Right. So we were looking at black walls. Right, 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 right. And I needed to have this feeling 
of what it was like to live in a museum type of a home. Okay. And I needed to understand what she looked at every day. Yeah. And the fact that, oh, you can't sit on that chair. Right, right, right. You know, kids get off that chair. You know, and I needed to understand what that chair looked like because, you know, I don't have that experience. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that experience growing up where I wasn't allowed to sit in a particular chair or right. touch a particular thing. Right. So for me... I'm a very visual person. I guess that come, you know, that's the artist in me that, you know, I need to be able to understand what she sees, what she touches, what she feels, what she eats, what she drinks. It just, I have to be able to do that. Yeah. And yeah, if you're, if you're going to be painting that world for the audience, then you've got to have it in your own head to. Exactly. Exactly. I have to have it in my own head to be able to convey it. Yeah. I guess that is the bottom line. But I think that um, back to the point of, you know, finding elements of Helen that I could connect to, the number one thing I think was that she lived, she lived in this space where um, she tried to be her authentic self, living in a, uh, living in a space that, um, where there was trauma, where yeah. there was trauma, there were secrets, there was tension. There was hatred Mm. and living, um, living all those years without people knowing it. Yeah. You know, that it's just below the surface that living in a museum of a house and, you know, being upright citizens in this little town and having this quirky daughter and, you know, um, being out in the community and being involved in the community with all of that shit going on. Yeah. And it's it's everybody's story, right? Right. That's not anything yeah, new. Yeah, because nobody knows what's actually going on, right? Nobody in, knows. In so yeah, I I didn't want to play the character. I didn't want to find out. It, it's hard to find out a lot about her, other than through um, uh, her writing, right. Allison's writing. Right. In Allison's writing, she's very cold. Yeah. And I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't play the part. And connect with the audience being completely cold. Right, right. There had to be an element of warmth or of regret or of emotion just below the surface. Right. To be able to have people even like care about her. And and I would say her her arc pretty much builds to the song Days and Days, right? Yeah. Which is kind of the eleven Chills. o'clock number of the show. Yeah. Um from that song on, the show is just like a thousand percent. Freight train, yes, or truck, I guess, yes, and there's no stopping it, no. And uh, and so when you know that that's the point you've got to build to, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying about had you just approached her as cold, as mm-hmm. detached, as whatever, then the audience wouldn't feel what they're meant to feel mm-hmm. when we get to that number, and, yeah. And, she, and where and where I changed was you said to me. And I don't know if you remember this, but in the in the process of rehearsing the show, like don't play the end of the show, mm. and that helped me uh, because I you can't you can't put it all out there, right? You know you do have to reserve some of it, right? And so I did need some of that coldness in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, you know I had to have that to yeah. be able to like let it go at the end, right? Right. You know, so that was very helpful because I was I was ready to just be kind of like a nervous wreck yeah. through the whole show. And showing, you know, showing the audience what was going on internally. And it, we weren't ready for that yet. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. that 11th 11, hour number would not have right. 
worked. And that's one of those notes that that I give because I've been given that note many yeah. a time before yeah. by by many directors who know a lot more than me. But yeah, you're you're right that it's it's got to build to something. It's got to we've got to see hints of it so that that number you know and and that evolution makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. But she's also got to go somewhere. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and that line, that line in that at the end of that song is one of the best lines, I think, in any show. The, the don't you come back here? Yes. I didn't raise you to give away your days like me. It's just. Yeah. Ooh. Even just hearing you say it. Yeah. You're it's right. just it's, like, yeah, it gives me chills yeah. every time I, I think of it. So I, I do. I think about her a lot and not her as a person. I think about the character. The character. Right. I think about the character a lot right. and what sh- that character taught me. But it's and, interesting to hear how how much research you were doing separate from what we were doing here in rehearsal. Oh, yeah. I do it for everyone. Like, yeah. I had a Pinterest board for Nevermore. What was on it? Uh, a lot of it was just um, pictures of witches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Witches and ravens. I buy that. Uh, Poe poems. I feel like there should have been at least one picture of Stevie Nicks. Maybe there was. Maybe that was under the there witches was. part. There was. A was picture, there really? There was a picture of her and of Lady Gaga. Because you were definitely giving off some Stevie vibes. Yeah, Lady Gaga has a, a few pictures where okay. she looks very, um, very gothy. I love so. that. Yeah, I have to. I have to do that. I do it all. I, that's what I do for every everything I do. So, what happens when the process ends? Mm. And and <laughs> Helen, where does Helen get left? Is she here? Is she here right now? Um, she's not here right now, but she comes back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm haunted by. I would say I'm haunted by every show I've ever been in that I've had a role in. Yeah. I mean, when I'm in the like, you know, I was in the Evita chorus. I don't. I'm not haunted by that. Yeah. But I definitely, like, I still think about Carrie. Yeah. I still think about, um, what was her name? White. Margaret White. Um, and not only the character, but just kind of like what I could have done differently. Mm. You know, I, mm. I'm constantly thinking like, damn it, why did I think of that? Or And something like Carrie, like Margaret White, like, I, that was the first role, that was the first, like, lead role I ever had. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Who were these directors who were not smart <laughs> enough to put I you wasn't in ready. Roles? I wasn't ready. Yeah, I, 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 I bet was, you were. I wasn't. I don't think I was. I don't think I was. So you're saying like when you were in college? Mm-mm. Really? I wasn't emotionally ready to do theater. Huh. I, I, I say that now, 25 yeah. years out. Yeah. I did not say that at the time. So I, were you like auditioning in college and not getting cast? Yes. Yes, I was auditioning. Give me the names and numbers of these idiots. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> no, I desperately wanted, we did a production of Evita in college, yeah. and I desperately, like unhealthily, wanted to be Ava Perone. Yeah. And, you know, looking back at it, I wasn't ready for that role. Right, right. Given the way that I, that I, that I process, yeah. I was not ready for that. And I made a big stink about it when I didn't get it because... I was like, how am I going to get an education if I never get a role right, or, right, you know, right. um, I was an, I was an asshole. I was an idiot. Like I, you know, I, I wasn't mature enough to be given the privilege to have the roles that I wanted in college. So what happens now when you don't get cast? That hasn't I mean, happened. <laughs> <laughs> I set myself up for that. No, that has happened. Um, I think if I don't get cast, it just right now, it feels like, you know, that was silly of me to go for that. I, you know, I, I wasn't good for that part. Yeah. Now, if it's something I really wanted, 
Like I, I have said in the past that m- one of my dream roles would be gyp- to be gypsy. I was going to ask you if you had a dream role and, and it was yes. funny because I was thinking gypsy yes. would be a great role for you. I would love to see. You I would show. love to be, I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, if I didn't get to do that and I auditioned here in area, I'd be upset. Yeah. I'd be sad. Yeah. I wouldn't be mad. I'd be sad. That I, I have said the best show I've ever seen at the Playhouse was Kelly Rodlin in Gypsy. Yeah. Just, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, fantastic. it's a great show. Yeah. I mean, anything. I mean, Sondheim could be a whole nother podcast, but. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe will be. And should be. Um, I, I was interested, though, to, to hear. I mean, well, apparently you just always get cast. So that kind of deflates that question. <laughs> but that was just a funny. But I think that's joke, that's but. a difficult thing I think for a lot of actors to Mm. to learn and to accept is that idea and it's going to happen to all of us and it does happen to all of us is sometimes you look at that cast list and your name's not on it yeah I had that I had that as a young person for sure so do you think that that maybe makes you a better performer now or Mm. makes you a stronger person now having had that rejection yeah sure I mean rejection isn't easy um Yes, I think it makes you a stronger person, but I also think it makes you reflect on, do I really want this? Mm. You know? Yeah. If if you keep coming back, it means you really want it. Right. You know, and like we said, kind of coming full circle in our conversation, like I decided I didn't. Yeah. You know, back when I was 22, 23, I decided, you know what? I don't want this. I'm going to step away from this. Yeah. For now I, it's and... not the life I want. Yeah. You know, I want I want to live my life a little bit differently than this. Yeah. Now, if you were talking to me now at 52 and, you know, I wasn't getting cast and, you know, I thought I was better than I was, I might have a different answer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it forces you to reflect. It forces you to kind of look at yourself like maybe I'm auditioning for the wrong things. Mm, that's a good point, too. You know, maybe in my mind, (laughs) you know, in my mind, I should be gypsy, but maybe I'm not. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. Yeah. And, but that's a hard lesson to learn. It is a hard lesson to learn. If I were a director of a theater, I would give people feedback. I would. (laughs) That felt very pointed, Gretchen. No, no, no. I don't, I'm not pointing it at you. But in my experience, if I haven't gotten something, I've never gotten like, you know, here's why you didn't get it. Yeah. And I think that piece is really important right. for someone right. who believes they believe in themselves, but then flat out rejection with no kind of feedback right. is, is that takes a special person. Right. And I have said, you know, I, I there have been some times where I'll reach out proactively and say, you know, when I'm directing and say, look, we weren't able to use you, whatever, you know, give them some legit feedback. Yeah. Um, but I, I do tend to say in general, like if if you don't get cast reach out to me. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm happy to say, and it can be an uncomfortable conversation, but I, I am willing and, and eager to help someone understand here's why we, we didn't use you in this particular show. Yeah. And, you know, the other piece of it with community theater is we're trying to involve other people too. So, you know, Gretchen, you could come in and audition and be perfect. And I could absolutely picture you in the part, yeah. but someone else who hasn't been in any shows the past couple of years auditions and, does as well and and could also play the part. I might go with that person over you, even right. though I know you'd be great, right? Because I want to give that other person sure. another opportunity. Oh, your community too. theater is a whole different. Yeah, that to me is the the challenge, both the challenge and the um, 
the beauty of community theater because yeah. you can find other ways for people to get involved right. in theater um, if maybe they're not up to performance level. Sure, you sure. You know what I mean? I, to to kind of flip that though, I would say too, we as community theaters, I think, have an obligation to try to create opportunity yes. for people, right? That yeah. that we have a responsibility to to at times say, you know what? Okay, maybe this person is not the best actor in the world, yeah. but maybe if I put them in this show, they'll get a little bit better and yeah. they'll get something out of it. And we're here to serve the community too. So yeah. that's, that's kind of the part that we have to wrestle with on the, on the producing and directing side. Yeah. Of it. But the challenge is, you know, especially at a theater like drama shop, a big cast for us is what seven people, eight right. people. If we're, I mean, we were just talking before we started recording about, we just completed Moby Dick and we're sitting in the green room right now. Somehow we had 17 actors back here. I, have no I can't even picture how we did it. No. But most of our shows, we're going to have a handful of actors. And, yeah. and that's that means less opportunities for people. But And it means you need strong people in certain roles. But we still need to walk that line and find that balance of how do we bring some some newer, less mm-hmm. experienced folks into the mix and and still give our audience the quality of production that that we're aiming to give them. Right. And it's a call out to people who do um maybe get cast more often than others to not audition for everything. Or you know? or if you do audition and you don't get cast, it doesn't mean exactly. you were awful. It doesn't mean you had a terrible audition. Yeah. It means we needed to give someone else an opportunity. Right. So I'm feeling uncomfortable about this conversation. Why? I don't know. I just feel like I'm I feel like I'm sounding very snobby. <laughs> well, when I said what happens when you don't get cast and you said it's never, ever happened. <laughs> exactly. That's that sounds, where it took a turn. I know. And it I'm leaving snobby. that in. So because we could have said she's great. We're not going to cast her. Well, you know who got me to audition. She needs to be knocked down a peg. We're not going to cast her. Who got me to audition to that show was Kate. Oh, yeah. Kate theme. Yes. Because I had worked with her at the Playhouse, yeah. and then she, you know, she was you know the whole story. She was musical and... director, and she's like, hey, are you thinking of doing this? And I was like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> she's like, you should. Did and you I was know like, the okay. show before? No. See, neither did Kate. And I didn't know I it like, at all. Kate, how do you not know Fun Home? I, I just, I mean, I think it's one of the, the greatest pieces of musical theater I, I ever. I think like, that now. Just, yeah. 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 I've always said I'm a theater geek that doesn't know anything about theater. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Gretchen, it's been really fun talking to you. Thanks. I'm going to leave in all of the horrible things you said. (laughs) Please, Uh, please don't judge me out there in podcasts. Unless you said anything horrible about me, then I'm going to cut that out. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, always fun to talk to you. I could, Likewise. I could talk shop with you for another hour, but who, I could who too. Would listen? It's been an hour. That's crazy. It's been more, more than, than an hour. hour. Well, thank you, Gretchen. Right. Always good to talk to of you. Of course. <laughs>